Welcome to the Fringe in Review episode 8, being broadcast from Fringe Review's headquarters here in the UK in our plush corporate offices, better known as My Garden Shed, as hail is coming down onto the roof, if you can hear it in the background, and we're promised our first snow in Brighton later this afternoon, uh, which though in lockdown, well, we might as well be cosy, and I'm quite looking forward to a bit of snow settling for the first time in Brighton, I think in years. And this is a bumper edition, a bumper episode, as we are going to be chatting to theatre and art makers from two festivals that are on um, in the UK that have coped, that have pivoted in lockdown. We have the Space UK, which is in its second season offering, I think, pretty much recorded fringe, uh, successful shows that already exist and were in the physical world that have transferred, transposed, transformed into the digital context and the Living Record Festival, which has courted and curated and supported digital art beyond uh, lockdown. And Living Record Productions itself has been uh, playing with things like binaural sound for several years and multimedia. So uh, in the Space UK, you get your chance to access Fringe, a lot of which would have been at the big art festivals like the Edinburgh Fringe uh, that still want to reach you. And there's a lot of fine quality work there. And Living Record Festival is attempting to continue its mission um, and is now live and you have the opportunity to see digital art, binaural sound, 360 degree film, Zoom theatre and a lot more. And I spoke to a few of those artists um, and they're on previous episodes and you can hear a few more. So sit back, relax, uh, listen and be inspired by art makers during lockdown. Now my first conversation is with Lenny Varvarides from Displer, a fascinating company a company that works with and encourages the work of neurodivergent performers, arts makers, creators. And uh, Displa has a digital residency at Living Record Festival. So it was absolutely, actually genuinely, absolutely inspiring to talk to somebody who is actually a platform with a digital residency within another platform, the Living Record Festival. And that is inspiring because of the amount of creativity that is now becoming layered and integrated and people are collaborating. And we don't just have platforms for shows, but we have platforms for people with visions and missions that go beyond themselves. Now, uh, Lenny was talking about a particular uh, piece of work that she's interested in and has been involved in. Um, And let's give her a listen. Now, I'm joined by Lenny, I hope I pronounced this right, Varvo Reedes. Um, well done. <laughs> um, Displa, who have a digital residency at the Living Record Festival. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the festival. Um, so Ross and I have known each other for a really long time. Um, it's actually been 10 years since uh, we worked together. So it's a nice coming together Um, this story about the residency because we are showing all of the work that we've created in the last five years of um of our digital content so um so yeah it's quite a special residency to be working again with ross and to be showing our work through his platform and also to be sharing our content with with a new audience as well like a lot of the time when you make digital work it kind of sits it sits um 
on your drive and not enough people get the opportunity to see it. So having this, yeah, having this opportunity through lockdown to be able to actually be showing our work and our collection of all of our best work all in one place, all in all all packaged really lovely, lovely together is really um it's really special for us. Yeah, I have to ask, um, as you were mentioning, you know, the story with Ross Drury, the producer um, of Living Record Festival, you said five years and you said our work and there was a sort of sigh. Does five years seem like a long time to you? Um, it, I, I, was getting con I, I was getting confused of whether or not I should mention prior to the five years, because um, before yeah. we moved into digital content, we were only producing um, theatre work which is how I met Ross he directed one of our theatre festivals back in 2010 so that that's what the pause was um it feels like five years has gone by really quickly and um and you never realize how quick until you're on the other side of it so so yeah I think I don't know if I've answered your question but that's what the pause was I was like how much should I tell them like how, yeah. how far back well, do we go <laughs> yeah it's because lockdown you know and as ross has told me you know the festival might have happened anyway but it's kind of a child of lockdown is it's made us all look back it's made us all reflect exactly. i mean people are looking ahead so you've looked back over five years does it feel like you know there's a word the canon does it feel like a lot of work in the five years yeah, I mean, that's if it hadn't been for this festival, Kaz and I, Kazimir Beletsky, who I'm, I run Displa with, we never would have had the impetus to put everything together in one place. So for us, it's actually been really emotional to be able to see how much we've made in relatively a short time, especially with the 360 work. It's it's a new technique that Kaz has you know, that he's he's kind of like driving all of the digital content and he's learning on each job and the quality of the work for, you know, for, for a new medium, I think is really brilliant. I am biased, um, but I think the work that we've mm. created is really intuitive and beautiful and poetic. And um, and it, it's exciting for us as Displa because it's the first, we've only really been working in 360 since 2000 and, 19 so um so it's mm. a relatively new medium for us but it feels so intuitive that i i, I don't know why we weren't you know working in it sooner um so oh gosh sorry I yeah and for people that don't know sorry for people that don't know what's the 360 work what does that mean so it's basically content that you that it was designed to be experienced and watched in a headset. Now, through the festival and over the last um, year or so, you've, you are actually able to now observe 360 content on your desktop using your mouse. So for any of your listeners that are worried that they don't have a headset and won't be able to digest our content, I think it's really important for them to know that they do use their mouse in the same way that they would turn their head. So, you know, you get to look around your environment and it's very immersive. And for people that love um, immersive theatre, it will feel very similar to that experience where you feel like you have freedom to really experience the environment. But you do it through your 
while you're on your desktop, you do it through your mouse. So some people forget to use the mouse and then they end up not seeing, not seeing very much. I had a friend message me saying, oh, Lenny, I, I really love the, the long black, the long black pauses in the work. And I was like, you didn't use your mouse, did you? She was like, oh, no, I didn't. I was like, yeah, you haven't really experienced the content. You've, you've just been stuck, stuck in, a, in an empty space. So it is really important that people mm. use their mouse and move around the, the screen. And that has to be something fresh and new, especially in lockdown, where we're so used to being locked down. Well, I mean, I think 360 and VR is just, even though it's been around for a really long time, like it's becoming more um, available to the consumer in the last sort of five years when the headsets have become cheaper and where the cameras have also become cheaper and people are able to actually create the content. So they're... It is a vibrant community. I'm actually part of a group called the Hedonists, and they're about a group of about 80, 80 practitioners living in uh, in the UK and around around Europe and America, who are um, avid content makers, content absorbers, and they. I, I feel really proud to be part of this group because you get to you get to meet people at the very beginning of a, of their work and have an opportunity to input and feel how vibrant the community is. So it is out there, but it's just still quite, um, quite a, uh, I guess, quite an ex exclusive group of people because I think the, the regular person feels it's, it's still not accessible enough. But hopefully through this mm. festival um, and through more festivals like this where people realise that actually 360 content, the perfect place for it is the internet. And the internet makes everything accessible to everyone, regardless of, you know, financial barriers that I think we're going to see a, a much more of a boom in consumer content of 360 work, which is really brilliant for all of the artists involved. And it is, it is a movement pushed predominantly from the grassroots and the artists, as opposed to it feeling like it's sort of monopolized through the technology companies. In, in terms of the writing and devising process, when we write for theatre, obviously the vast majority of theatre, the writer, the devising process imagines a theatre space where the audience are fairly fixed and the stage is fairly fixed. And of course, with immersive theatre and promenade and site specific, then we write and devise with the idea the audience may well be moving around and we are in, you know, the 360 degree space. Mm. How different is the devising and writing space for this 360 degree kind of film format compared to that process for writing for theatre? I think it's easier. Um, one of the one of the films that we're going to be showing is called Two Women. Um, we got some funding from the Arts Council to make it, and we took about five days um, to make it. And writing it, I treated it like writing a normal uh, a normal short film, but the directing of it was very much like theatre, um, very much like uh, immersive theatre because the actors are in. Um, there in, there's only two locations in two, two women. The first location is on the train, and we didn't have um, we didn't have permission to shoot on the train. We kind of just did it guerrilla style, just showed up 
on the overground and started filming. And with 360, you can't cut and start again. It just has to be one one run after the other in the same way that you would in, in, a, rehearse, in a rehearsal in the theater, you just keep running it. And that's the approach that we used to make this film. We just kept running it. There was no calling cut until we got to the end, not only the end of the scene, but the end of the train line, because we wanted all of the scenes to be you know, cohesive in, in the movement of the of the train. So that felt, and the actors also said that felt like they were just in a play and the stage was the train. So I think uh, theatre makers will find 360 a very familiar, especially if they're, if they're immersive theatre directors, they'll find 360 a very natural space to work in. And the actors, I think, will also find, find it... Um, a very easy transition from theatre theatre actors to screen actors. I think it's an easy transition going via the 360 route as well. And, and going beyond, you know, the general observation, <laughs> well, it's more immersive, what would be an example of what you can achieve as a theatre maker, filmmaker through this, that you couldn't achieve in the more static a traditional theatre mode what, what are those specific examples I, I think ultimately it's legacy so that you have you have it forever and the the reach that you've got is wider because you can put it online and it exists forever and um, so legacy is always the the thing that appeals the most because you can spend so much money making theatre and so few people have the opportunity to experience it so legacy is the biggest draw for me um but in terms of the actual theatre making, I mean, I guess, obviously, I have a, a more, um, well, detailed view. I can change perspective. I can see things you wouldn't be able to see in the static theatre space. What, what, what can you gain through the theatre, the theatrical impact in, in film that you couldn't do if you were just in, you know, in a traditional theatre? I think it's just the spontaneity of it. So that when you are in a public space, going back to the, the train station, because that's, that's, I think, the most relevant experience I can draw from, it's, it, it, feels, um, it feels more immediate. You don't know how the audience is going to react. They're not members of your paid audience, so you have no control over them in the same way that you know they know the rules if they're in the, in an immersive space and it feels more exciting the actors also um their performance feels more um charged because they also don't know what's going to happen at any point there's the element of the unexpected which i think makes the performance even more authentic um so i guess uh, i guess what you get is a more enhanced experience um, but also the actors get something that I don't think that they they would get in the theatre and it's that element of um, the spontaneity and the non-predictability of what the public because they become a public they're not audience members they're members of the public and that changes the experience as well. And do you feel I mean maybe you've done this or not um, but if you then went back to just directing a straight play in a straight theatre, that would feel like being chained? It would feel limited. Um, it would feel limited, but it's not either or. I think that's the most important thing that people have to kind of digest. It's not either or. Like we, we have so many opportunities to tell a story and it's what's the best way to tell that story. If your story serves the traditional, 
then you know they don't need to be pitted against each other um i i like i like how fast it is so because Displa only produces the work of neurodivergent story makers because i'm dyslexic and i've got adhd for me this makes sense this fast immediate way of working through the process so the process of making 360 content feels more organic to the way that my brain works whereas theater feels too long and too um, but that's not that's not criticism against theatre. It's more to do with how I create content as an artist. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think it depends on, and I guess people don't really talk about the artist's personality and the way that they work when they talk about why they chose to create in the theatre or in film. But through the work that we do at Displa, we find that a lot of the artists that we um, that we develop and that we work with prefer moving image. Um, and I wonder if there's a connection there because of the way that they process information and the way that their brain works. Um, neurodivergent performers and performance has really added and enriched things like the Edinburgh Fringe. There's been so much of it at the last fringe we were allowed to attend. Can you say a bit more about how you draw upon that and use that and have it as a foundation for your work at Displa? Well it is it is the foundation at Displa. We only we only kind of began as um as a reason to develop neurodivergent artists. And when I first started, I think it was in 2009 or 2010, our strapline was um producing better story makers. So I really felt that the neurodivergent artist is an is an um, an authentic like they have a more authentic ability to tell stories, um, and yeah, that that there is definitely a correlation between the amount of neurodivergent people in the creative sector, all creative sectors, so film, art, performance, um, music. I think writing, even you know, authors. There's so many really prominent writers that are also neurodivergent, and I think there is a correlation between the way that the neurodivergent mind processes information and sees the world, and is more in touch through instinct to their imaginary lives that helps them become story makers, or or, or drives that desire to be a story maker to be created to tell um, to tell their their story well particularly also again at edinburgh i saw some um superb storytelling coming from neuro neurodivergent performers in spoken word and comedy for example um in terms of in terms of film now and I'm, I'm just reading literally today, you know, the questions, is the Edinburgh Fringe going to happen? Are Fringe festivals going to be cancelled for another year and so on? And it's not going to go back to the old normal. And one thing that's also happened is this work has started to blend film and live theatre. Mm. Um, how would you see your work a year from now? Now you've had an experience in theatre and an experience in film. Uh, you know, I guess things will never be the same again. Um, <clears throat> I mean... I've always been blending. So everything that we've made, even when we were working in film before, uh, even when we were working in theatre in the early days, we were always mixing moving image, installation, um, and trying to get that immersive experience in everything we were doing. So for me, this doesn't feel abnormal. Um, but I do think that theatre is, 
is experiencing a massive challenge. Um, and I think that that can be a good thing and it can probably also be a bad thing because to, to, um, to adapt, you have to have money and you have to have skill in the technology that you're adapting into. So it is gonna affect a lot of people that don't have those skills. Yeah. Um, and there is, that will hopefully highlight a skill shortage in theatre schools where they are not equipping their students uh, in a more sort of holistic approach to storytelling. So may maybe it could be a good yeah. thing that it will revolutionise how uh, theatre schools encourage uh, their, their students, not only as actors, but as theatre makers, to really draw on everything within our, within our um, artistic palette to tell stories. We don't have to be so purist, you know, like it doesn't have to be this concept of pure theatre having almost some kind of legitimacy that we have to protect it for its own good and its own survival seems a bit odd when, yeah, yeah when it, it, it's just, everything is just there to enhance the story. So as long as we're enhancing the story, that should be the most important thing, not how and what methods we use to enhance that story. And I guess I was thinking less of the performance. I mean, you guys have been doing this for five years. It's more about, I mean, certainly at Living Record Festival, people are going to be browsing the programme who have never encountered this before. And so when we come out of lockdown, there's going to be a growing audience for this. And lockdown may have caused that because people are being deprived of their old theatres and they're going to experience new stuff like this and so it's slightly kind of in some ways this is a technical question but for people we've heard well i can use my mouse or a headset what are the sort of minimum technical requirements to do either of those things some people might think well i've got some sort of headset we bought a couple of years ago um you know they're obviously going to want to watch this um in the best possible way so what what's needed to do either of those two ways of watching so for the best 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 experience the headset is the preferred method, but those headsets are like 200 pounds. So they're not, most of the people coming through um, Ross's festival, they're not, they're not gonna have a headset. And if they do, like they'll probably be more gamers that maybe they've got the headset because they're into gaming because it's kind of grown from that industry. Um, but what we've tried- So this can't be one of those that we bought for a fiver last year, you know, to try out VR, it's not one of those. Um, it can it can be one of those. It, so it can also be that you could even do it on your phone. You could even do it. You know, you could get one of those cardboard Google cutouts and put your phone in that okay. and use your phone to watch it. But what we've tried to do is actually make everything super, super accessible so that all you need is a screen. It's not going to be the same experience. So if anyone is listening and they do have a headset, I'd encourage you to use the headset because it will be a better experience. But what we've yeah. tried to do is put this on um, Vimeo because Vimeo now has a, a 360 platform. So we've put it on Vimeo and anyone can watch this using their desktop and their mouse. The, some people you watch it on their phone and unless you've downloaded YouTube or downloaded Vimeo to your phone, you won't be able to use your finger as the mouse to move around. So I guess that's also quite important for people to know that if they are planning to watch this on their phone, they will need to download uh, the YouTube app or the Vimeo app. Um, but you don't have to do any of that. You can just be online, be on your desktop, use your mouse, 
especially if you've never experienced 360 before, that's probably a nicer introduction into it. And if you've, if you've watched some of our content on your desktop and you want to experience it in a headset and you, you were thinking about buying one anyway, then I'd recommend just buying a secondhand one. You don't have to go all out and get the state of the arts. Um, Oculus do really affordable headsets. Um, I say affordable in terms of technology. I think we, we bought ours a couple of years ago and it was 200 pounds. So they're probably even cheaper now. And if you buy it secondhand, it will be cheaper again. Um, but if there's- and the, genre, the genre, and the genre is coming. So you're, you're not just gonna use it to watch this show. There's gonna be more and more in the future. This, I mean, if people are interested in VR, like I said, it's a massive, massive community. So if, you, um, if you're into it, um, uh, Raindance recently had their own VR a world where you could go onto their festival and experience the films in VR through their platform. So a lot of film festivals through lockdown are realizing that actually this is a very natural progression for VR content to, to embed it into festivals. Whereas before, before lockdown, people thought that it was gonna to be too expensive and people wouldn't be interested in it. And the, the audience was really slow through lockdown, they're realizing that actually this is a brilliant opportunity to get more and more people interested and involved in the in the VR content and to make it accessible to do so, which is why YouTube and Vimeo have now created these new platforms because they're realizing that there is a demand. So it's absolutely an investment for anyone who is interested in being mm -hmm. both um, um, like a, an absorber of the content and people that are curious to make their own content everyone always says just absorb as much content as you can before you start thinking about making your own um your own stuff but I feel that it's really easy to transition and a lot of people that I speak to they're so scared of taking that transition and I would say if you've got an idea and it feels like it belongs in VR there are that you know you can hire um, a DP that would work in VR in the same way that you can hire a DP that owns a camera and would make you, you know, that would help you make your film. So technology should never be a barrier for anyone that has the idea and that they want to make something. Yeah, what's a DP? A DP is director of photography. So the person holding oh, the okay. camera um, when, you're, when you're making a film. So, so um, an invite for people to watch this in different ways. And if you can and you can afford it and you're looking for uh, a way into experiencing VR, maybe to get a headset. One final question, um, Lenny, which I've been asking everybody uh, in the festival. So I, and I'm not seeking a polite answer, but it's been a rough year for all of us. A big challenge for artists. How are you? I've... Um... I've changed what how are you means through lockdown. So a bit like what you were saying before, that people are using this time to reevaluate their life and their goals and their achievements and their aspirations for the future. I've kind of done the same thinking about um, what what is it that we're all striving for? Um, and I've realized that what lockdown has given me, even though it's been a financial hardship for everyone, it's given me the space to realize what I'm interested in, what I want to make, what I want to do with my time. Um, and for that, my mental health is doing really well, better than it's ever been, you know, like, so I feel really lucky to have had this opportunity to just take a year 
and reevaluate what it is that that really matters and how I really want to be spending the rest of my life um, and the kind of work that I want to make and how little I want to uh, invest in chasing money. So like this concept of having to, this sort of, almost this capitalist concept of you work hard until you die um, and you have your house and you have your pension and that's kind of what we're all aiming for. It just doesn't seem enough anymore. So, um, so yeah, I, I feel really lucky that I've realised that I don't really want to work so hard anymore. So that, that's what I've realised, which probably you shouldn't admit. Um, but I think it's important to recognise that it's not all about about work like that there is so much more that we could be doing and so much more that we're capable of than just working all the time and we've been very lucky to be able to talk to you lenny thanks for talking to fringe review no problem thank you so much for having me now peter huddler sets a cello on fire name of the show but probably some truth behind it too and you can watch him uh, doing some of his tv performances and other work on youtube of course but peter gave us an insight into uh, why he chose the cello his incredible show incredible just in terms of the way that he makes his music the way he plays his music uh, transposes music from uh, music that already exists and his love of the form and his love of the zone that you can get into when you are um, immersed in the art that draws you in and that you love and then that you are creative within and then that you share with audiences in this case at the Space UK's second season. So Peter, Peter Hubler, am I pronouncing Hello. that right? Is it Hubler? Yes. And um, Hoodler, you see, I wanted to get that right. Um, guten Tag, willkommen. Uh, Thank you. Now, I'm going to open with a stinky question in a way. How do you set a cello on fire, Peter? <laughs> yeah, it's years of practice and uh, uh, it's, uh, you, have to, um, uh, you have to practice a long time to actually um, to, to start a fire on the strings. It has to come from the strings. And you have to play so passionately, and um, that they first they turn red, and then slowly um, uh, smoke comes, and then uh, eventually the whole cello is absolutely on fire. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I, I mean I've heard um, lots of different musicians, a bit like people that work in crafts as well, talk about there is this threshold, and then you cross it, and you don't always cross it, where the the player and the instrument become one. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so, so is that then for you, the metaphor of fire, is that, you know, other than a kind of cheeky word, is that, is that the quality? Yeah, I think so. Yes. I, um, I think what I'm trying to, to say with it is exactly this kind of, some kind of, a passion and also unity yes absolutely that um that it's not about playing the right notes and the right rhythms but something beyond that so that it becomes some kind of uh, um, powerful energy so it would i don't mean it in a destructive way of or like just like a, you know yeah mm -hmm. good point and and if you and metaphorically if you stood in a great 
if you stood in a great shop with every possible musical instrument on the planet in front of you, and there's this moment of choice, it's going to be the cello. Was there a moment like that? And what made the choice for you? Um, well, I was always fascinated with the, the beauty of the sound of the cello and that it has uh, uh, these qualities of, um, yeah, of being a very powerful, powerful instrument and also, but also very poetic. So you can express um, very strong emotions, uh, also very deep emotions. And I was always drawn to this kind of combination. Um, yeah, and the earthy, earthy, earthy sound that it has also yeah appealed to me always mm -hmm. so as a kid i guess i was uh, seven eight i decided i want to play this one <laughs> seven or eight wow yeah and were there were there any other instruments or has it just been this one uh i used to play uh, a little bit the piano but very poorly i have to say <laughs> and um then as a teenager i played the e-bass in a in a rock band actually for a while and yeah i learned basic guitar like you know the chords i can play some beatles songs if requested <laughs> listening to your music can you kind of tell me the difference when you play it between the rhythm and the melody uh yeah well the rhythm is like the heartbeat of the music it's the the yeah it's the heartbeat the pulse um it it's the the thing that can make the music like make you feel like dancing or or it gives also the the structure to the, to the whole thing and the melody is maybe more like the words uh uh yeah so it's like one one voice that's that's saying something to to you as a listener yeah whereas the rhythm goes deeper and maybe also more uh in a more like uh, a hike kind of uh, sphere i guess but, but when when you do both and i close my eyes it sounds like there's two people oh you mean in the in the in the in the music in in my music yeah 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 uh it sounds like there's two people okay because it's like it sounds like there's not one one player only or yeah yeah it's just i mean i just i'm not that musical in terms of being able to play an instrument i i tinker around but it's Ooh. it's kind of incredible <laughs> yeah well i try to i i mean part of this project is uh to like to to show that there you can with one cello like you can do more than than just like normal like playing tunes and or like also orchestra playing to 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 create a feeling of like yeah exactly like like uh, more people like like uh, to expand to expand the the possibilities mm -hmm. yeah so, it's so a, a i don't know voice. if you can put, put i don't know if you, sorry go ahead go on no no sorry yeah sorry yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how you do it then in terms of, could you give us an insight into your creative process? Um, well, it's, uh, uh, well, first of all, I use some, I use my voice as well, which uh, you usually don't do in the classical music, uh, but yeah, the crossover people or the jazz people do it as well. And I like to include that. So I use the voice. So I have an extra, extra like means of expression. And then on the cello, of course, it's a cool instrument because 
I can use the lower strings to create a bass line, and then I can use the higher strings to create a melody, and I can use different like uh, plucking techniques, like on the guitar, to make it sound like a you know a company instrument. So there are all these different uh, possibilities to uh, to create different uh, kinds of like to hint at different instruments, sort of. And I think that's what makes it uh, uh, makes it uh, f feel like there are more people playing. Yeah. Or for example, I play a line. Yeah, with a bow, I can play yeah. a melody with a bow, and then I can use my left hand to to pluck the strings at the same time. And so then I have like the melody on the bow, and I have an, a sort of accompaniment with the with the pizzicato, the plucked uh, notes, with the other hand. So then I have already two. It sounds like two people already, you know. Um, are, are you a bit crazy? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm. Uh, if I wasn't before this uh, pandemic, I'm definitely now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I. But crazy. you know. It's important to be crazy because uh, one teacher said to me once, it's very important to be crazy because otherwise you will go crazy. <laughs> so, what 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 has lo what's lockdown done to that creative process? Because I've chatted to a few people, and this is so as a writer that actually the more I've withdrawn, literally I'm in my garden shed, and this has been mm -hmm. for months. One of the benefits has been, and I've heard about this from people you have been put in prison, prisoners of conscience that some of those writers, their writing was at its best when they were locked down, is that somehow a kind of different creative panorama opened when I didn't have the complication of always being outside with everybody. Um, you know, has lockdown changed your creative process at all or what you've written? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yes. Um, we're, uh, yeah, I agree totally. I mean, probably, I, I guess... With writing, it could be even more extreme uh, because uh, the, as performing artists, I think it is important to be live somehow and to have an audience and to have this uh, communication. So I think it's a little, there's a problem for us actually, but um, that you don't have when you write, but um, like when you write a uh, written word, but like for the, um, yeah, for like composing or arranging stuff, definitely, yeah, just to have the time. And not to have to like deliver constantly did help definitely yeah and also just like the just to 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 be forced to turn inward and to deal with all the stuff inside uh, of myself in this case um has definitely uh helped a lot yeah to to get more real mm -hmm. So, so in terms of your music, I mean, this show that we're invited to see online, I think it's from a show back in 2020. Yes. Do you think when we come, when, when we emerge from lockdown, do you think you'll be a, in any way a different composer or musician or you'll just go back? No, 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 I won't be the same. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, it must. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I learned a lot. Of, I've learned a lot of things already about about myself and how I work, and um, um, and I'm pretty sure that this will show as well in the in the in the concerts. And actually, when there was like times when it was more open in uh, the summer and September, there were some really intense concerts that I really enjoyed because of uh, because every every concert uh, was special to everyone and everyone could feel 
how important it is to have the possibility to play and to listen and to communicate via music or the arts. And I think that um, we're um, we, that we will have uh, a lot of uh, very special experiences, everyone, uh, when we get out of this. Mm. Now, this show um, that we can watch was actually, I think it was on TV, wasn't it? Um, yeah. In terms of watching it now during lockdown, do you have any advice on how you would like us to watch this? Uh, well, how to watch it? Well, I don't know, like, mm, um, as a, well, um, just enjoy it um, and... Um, enjoy the music and um and um i don't know i hope it's just like uh, 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 the spirit of the music comes through even though it's just a just a live stream and um yeah i don't know i hope that it's uh, enjoyable to you know watch somebody play the instrument kind of well i hope and um and uh, yeah get just just um just let it sink in and uh, enjoy it. That's all, I think. <laughs> yeah, no... I mean, I, I guess what I thought was may, maybe watch it on the biggest screen in the house because, you yeah. know, when I started looking, I thought you can't squ squint and watch this on a mobile. You need some speakers and a big screen if you've got one. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, that would be, of course, that would be ideal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, we, we try to make, to get the sound as good as possible. I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah mm -hmm. that could definitely help yeah absolutely mm -hmm. yeah and just give us a flavor of, of the show what just tell us a little bit about it um so it's a kind of a mix of uh sort of the best stuff that i played in the previous years in in, in at the edinburgh fringe and uh it's literally a mix of styles from baroque to rock uh, i think i start off with uh, with an arrangement of uh, little wing by, by Jimi hendrix uh, and then from there it goes in all directions. There's some uh, Giuseppe Dallabaco, so small Baroque gem that's very beautiful. But then there's also uh, jazzy stuff. I use the cello a little bit like a guitar and um, pluck it. Um, so all sorts of um, different styles. And I try to bring them together and combine them and also to show that it's all, you know, just music. Um, so it's really like a, I hope it's a, it gives you it will give you a light feeling and uh, uh, yeah of uh, what's possible. <laughs> Final question, which I'm asking everyone during lockdown, which is not <laughs> normally a question you would ask um, in an interview, but I will. Um, Peter, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm not too bad. So so. Uh, I'm locked in and I live alone, so I see very few people, which is hard. But um, on the other hand, I've um, yeah, I've I have a routine, and I practice, and there are definitely also good sides to it. So I say, I think I'm coping all right with it, and yeah, <laughs> it's an experience. <laughs> sometimes better, sometimes worse. <laughs> yeah. And you have this ability to set a cello on fire. Thanks for talking to Fringe Review. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Now, what's unique about our conversation with Julius Wills is that we're in the realms of science fiction theatre. And he talks about his piece, Echo, 
a piece of theatre bound of course for the theatre world as well transposed into the digital world and very happily part of living record uh, festival and I am personally really interested in how you can write for the screen write for the theatre fuse the two together and maybe even in the future have two versions of that kind of work and um, it's the content that also is interesting because it's a play that has got lots of relevance to today but also points to perhaps where we're heading where we might want to head and you know there are some lessons for the present and the future so Julian talks about what he loves about science fiction uh, and why he chose that particular genre to bring this piece to Living Record Festival So I'm joined by Julius, um, is there any essential difference between audio drama and radio drama? Um, well, I mean, I guess the, one of the most principal ones is uh, radio drama is most likely to be heard on, on the radio. Meanwhile, an audio drama usually is something that exists on something like Spotify or uh, other online websites like SoundCloud. Um, also, I would guess that a, a, radio, a radio play or radio drama usually is more likely to be made in a, in a grander studio because it has sort of a more classical feel versus to the name and I imagine to the actual play itself like you'd find it made in like a BBC studio with a Foley board present does that answer the question yeah and I guess also I mean I is it also when you can go back as far as you know War of the Worlds and Orson yeah. Wells um, ra radio drama as you said you know would be big budget in those days, it would have, you know, not only competed, but preceded people sitting down and watching TV. Um, audio drama, I guess now you can take more liberties, can't you? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't use a big studio or big budget to make. It was actually quite easy to make and didn't cost too much um, because I, I guess I just really associate the term audio drama with a more... Um, modern online presence in that we we made a lot of the sounds using a computer soundboard uh where where we we could and we did a lot of it independently of each other and then brought it together to make it around the actual time and also that platforms such as the living record festival you know give give a space to people like yourself writing an audio drama which is called echoes you know gives you the chance to hit audiences that i mean what we're hearing is quite a lot of them would have been heading to you know physical theater festivals in places like the edinburgh fringe you know in physical venues i mean and yeah. now you can come straight into their living room their bedroom really easily through these platforms yeah definitely uh i found the, li the living record as an online platform you can just sort of upload straight to it and i hope um things like that continue to exist post the lockdown because it does make it more accessible to say for example my work which would have taken a while to hit any kind of mainstream potentially like a radio or any or, or even places like um, Spotify other on online audio presences if you know what I mean and I guess the reason for all these prelim questions Julius really is that you know if you do write radio drama radio 4 for example you know, has got a very, very clear profile, I guess, of who its audience is. Yeah. Have you imagined who would be listening to Echoes? I sort of imagine, I mean, I'm an avid podcast listener. I love listening to as, as, as many podcasts as, as I can. So I guess people 
who don't or haven't grown up listening to the radio as much like my my mum is attached to the radio but my dad is definitely not uh and if you're not into the radio then and you want and you want to listen to something usually you come to podcasts and i think echo falls into the area of someone who doesn't want to spend all day listening to something he wants to find a specific program and it's those who who love sci-fi those who love listening to adventure stories perhaps a little different than the usual setups of as you say radio plays that are part of radio 4 so without any spoilers um tell us a bit about echoes so echo follows three starship engineers aboard a colony ship called the resurgent the colony ship is something called a generation ship which is a sci-fi concept that started back in the 50s and 60s with people like Isaac Asimov and some of the founders of the modern science fiction genre. A, a, a generation ship, the idea is, is that the crew is going to live, um, die, and their children are going to take over the journey from then on. So the journey is going to last more than many human lifetimes. So these en- through these engineers with, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but through the situation that develops, they get put into cryostasis. And the idea is, is they're brought out every time the ship has an emergency. So they get to view what happens to mankind over the course of this hundreds and hundreds of year journey and see what happens, what sort of society develops on a ship that's traveling through space with a distant end goal in mind and yeah it's, it's just it's the human drama it is an element of time travel with through the cryostasis and it's i i think it's just fun science science fiction partially based off of the old uh science science fictions written by isaac asimov as i said and other such just to correct myself we're talking echo not echo so apologies for that no, 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 now no. in terms of you mentioned you've mentioned asimov and so on if people are you know in lockdown looking for something different but normally would say oh science fiction that's not me what would be your invitation to them my invitation would be it's it's not like high high thinking science fiction when i'm not throwing you into a vast and crazy universe where there's lots of concepts you have to get get used to at the heart of it it's a very human drama there are there they are just people at the end of the day no one has magic powers no one uh no one turns into an alien or anything like like that it's just humans traveling through the the stars i i, I guess if you want to take a human drama which was about a bunch of people on a train on earth just traveling for a very long time similar events to that might be there so if if, if you like human drama if you like uh tragedy there's a little bit of comedy in in there in there too that's what I'd, I'd say it's not just crazy science fiction that you're not going to get and so in terms of you know the bbc clearly has things like the bbc radiophonic or um whatever it's called the, the you know workshop and budgets for sound effects how do you immerse us in a in a believable world so my a good friend of mine kieran kurzwell who is my audio engineer i would suppose he spent a long time creating um these amazing effects that help to immerse you in what is happening there's that like i said earlier there's not a lot of crazy things happening so it's, it's quite easy to understand where where we are he's used various sounds to create the effect of people walking down hallways whenever that's happening doors opening um he's, he's created an 
excellent backing soundtrack, which is very subtle and very fitting. Uh, yeah, stuff like that, really. And in terms of, you know, uh, our, our kind of world today um, and the likes of Elon Musk <laughs> and the idea that you know, climate change may be too late for the world and Elon Musk is sending us to Mars within years, not decades, you know, he would say. Um, is this becoming a believable scenario? sooner than we think i think uh well the, the planet is is changing and, and i do think we either need to change our ways or maybe we need to look to the stars really I, i've always been a huge fan of science fiction and there is something i find fascinating about the idea of us traveling into space and making a life for ourselves out out there i'm not sure if it'll happen in the next few few decades i know there's a lot of talk that that'll be able to happen but i I still think it's something that lives in the realms of the next hundred, maybe 150 years or something like, like that. Like Echo takes place in the 22nd century. So very far away from where we are now. If you were there then, would you like to be on this ship? That's a very good question. I mean, the, I haven't painted Earth as a very nice place to live in the 22nd century. There's very few areas that are still habitable. And that's why this generation ship is going. So I would say, yes, I would like to be on board. Um, I guess being the writer, I, I, I know some of the things are going to happen to the ship. So I'd probably use hindsight to put myself in a place that means I'm not going to come to any any harm. But yes, I would like to be on, on board the ship because it, it, it would be forging the way to a, to a new future. You'd probably know the old kind of saying that radio is better than TV because <laughs> the pictures are a lot better. Do you agree yeah. with that? Uh, I would say that as, because uh, uh, I'm an actor as, as well as a writer, I, uh, I've, I've been so used to creating uh, stories through visual means that I, I, I now un understand that saying a lot better and how much painstaking writing and sound editing goes into helping to create this image that I, you know, like so, so much work's got gone into it. I think it does paint a better picture personally. Just, just I, I was listening to it, to it recently. And yeah, it, it took me a long time to write the drama in a way that could be perceived in an audio fashion and could be understood as clearly as it, as it can. And yes, I do agree with that. I would, I would say. And I guess I don't know if you thought about this, but in terms of you know my speculations about plays like this, and I've been a science fiction fan for years, so I've written, uh, read those books that have people in cryogenic suspension and going yeah. on very long journeys. We're in we're in lockdown now. Do you think there is an overlap, a connection? You know, um, audiences might notice it between <laughs> being trapped but stuck in the spaceship going a long way away and being in lockdown at the moment. Well, that's what helped me to write it because I wrote Echo over the course of lockdown. It was, it's what sort of kept me going during the first big six months of lockdown is writing Echo and that feeling of being caged in, in the same spot. Like I, I, I took a lot of inspiration from a lot of my daily routine almost never changed. And I sort of, I'd revel in the small things that, that that would be different yes i i i do think there is an element of that uh th throughout some of the episodes that just have this feeling of we're just here and the only people we have are each other in this small no not, not small because it is a large spaceship but compared to earth it is very very small yes i would uh, agree with that final question julius i've been asking everybody i've been interviewing 
um, for a living record about this. So we have mobile phones, we have laptops, we have large screens, we have sofas, we have beds, we have, if we're lucky, we have a garden. How would you like me to watch Echo? How I'd like you to watch Echo, that's very, very good. Um, I would say it's a very good thing to listen to whilst you're travelling. Like, I... I uh... I, I wrote it uh, whilst looking out the window, dreaming of going somewhere. Like my my work uh, back before lockdown meant I had to take the train almost every single single day. So what I'd say is is, is if you're going on a, on a long walk, put it on in your headphones. If you're taking a walk in the evening, uh, especially because it has a very good nighttime vibe, I would say Echo. It has that sort of if especially if you're living in in a city like uh like I live in in London if you look out the window at night and see all the lights glowing in in the distance it's very very thematic for that and the music helps to add to that so i'm going to listen to it as the stars come out and the sun yeah. sets up on the sussex downs julius thanks for talking to fringe review thank you so much for having me it's been lovely and i and i hope to hear more of the other shows on on here soon Thanks. Thank you. Now, at the Space UK's season two, we have a comedian uh, from New York, Sally Ann Hall, with her show Half Baked Alaska. And she tells a story which also is a kind of product of lockdown, but also a product anyway of her own development as an artist. She talks about the difference between live stand-up and uh, gives us some advice on how to watch her uh, online stand-up, her digitally transposed stand-up. And that is key because, of course, you don't have the live audience unless you are doing kind of live Zoom stand-up. So a lot of people who have brought their shows to continue their exposure to audiences, their sharing of their work, have the challenge of keeping an atmosphere going uh, whilst being online. So she tells us kind of how to watch. She also... uh, give some insights into how she's moved also more into music and uh, her comedy her stand up her kind of spoken word is now combined with music as well uh, so this is all about half-baked alaska and about a comedian during lockdown uh, bringing her work still to us and keeping the spirit of performance live performance even if it's recorded keeping that spirit going hello so hello Sally Ann. Hi, how are you? Well, this, I mean, they say it couldn't get any weirder, but I'm in my garden shed here in Brighton in the UK. We have Storm <gasps> Christophs smashing against the windows. Oh I have my, my cat Lily eating cat biscuits. You've just arrived, which is great. And on my left, muted, is President-to-be Joe Biden about to be inaugurated. Yeah. Let's, let's not get distracted by that. Can you introduce yourself fully? Tell us your name and the company you're from. Of course. Uh, my name is Sally Ann Hall. I, uh, I'm a comedian from New York City. So the company is pretty much just me, me doing my solo show, uh, which is stand up comedy and cabaret. Uh, and I'm doing it online uh, since there is no fringe at the moment. <laughs> How do you do stand up online? Uh, with extreme difficulty. Uh, <laughs> I um, for my so for the special that I filmed, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me. Uh, I basically just did stand up for my roommates so that I would have some kind of audience to feed off of energy wise. 
so I just basically recorded on iPhones uh, a, 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 like a miniature comedy special in my apartment in with my roommates because we're not allowed to see anybody else. And uh, so it's truly a lockdown uh, quarantine, uh, low key comedy special. And I guess, you know, everyone likes to blame COVID, um, but actually stand up online has been happening for a few years, hasn't it? It has been happening, but there are, it's as far as like, if, if you were doing a show where you even hear the audience's response, there's usually a delay. <laughs> so it, it's, it, it really is quite a different experience. So I've been getting more into things like music, which translates, I think, very well over online platforms. But are you trying to tell me that the visceral live relationship where sitting in the front row, you can feel the spit of the comedian landing in your beer is somehow better <laughs> than squinting squinting at your out of date iPhone and trying to watch something? You know, I am, I'm gonna go on the record. It might be a very controversial statement, but I'm gonna say yes, <laughs> unequivocally, <laughs> yes. Uh, there's something about the transfer of germs that just makes the, the comedy experience so much more potent, I think. Now, so obviously the next question is, so what is it that you've done? We're all been in lockdown, we're all having to pivot and innovate. What have mm -hmm. you done to, you know, be proud of what you're doing in this digital context? Well, I've had to realize what my strengths are and what they are not. A lot of a lot of comedians are trying to uh, grow their online presence and such. I tend to do better in a live setting. I, uh, you know, I worked in a piano bar. I was a singing bartender uh, before this happened while I was doing comedy. So I was always on stage just doing crowd work, talking to people. And now I'm like, oh, gosh, I have to script myself a little more. <laughs> I, I can't just fly by the seat of my pants anymore. So it's been an exercise in just sitting down and actually writing, uh, which can only be helpful, but it is it is a, a new process for me. Uh, writing, I always would like to, you know, like I would try a joke, see if it was funny. And then that was my writing process to do it and maybe bomb or maybe not. <laughs> so, so what is your, what's your cuisine of comedy? My cuisine of comedy. Well, I do a lot. I'm a I'm like a late night kind of raunchy comic, but I I, uh, I could be considered part of the alt comedy movement, alternative comedy in Brooklyn. There's a lot of like little bar shows that have feature like a lot of queer comedy stuff like that, and I've definitely been part of that um, movement. And in, I'm in that group of comedians where we try experimental things, not necessarily always just classic um, stand up. Do, do you write things on your clothes and your hands? No, no, I've got I've got a phone. I've got a phone for all that. A lot of times I talk to my phone. I take notes. I just will be like, I have a great idea. And I'll just like take a video or take a voice memo. Uh, no, I don't like to mark mark myself up because you can always see that from stage. If you write a joke on your hand, I can always tell when a comic does that. And, and where's your line between, you know, improvised and made up and scripted? Well, when they stop laughing, then I go back to my scripted. <laughs> Basically, I will improvise when I be like, where are you from? What do you do? Things like that. And if it's and if it's really not going anywhere, then I'm like, well, back to my previously scheduled jokes. 
Are, are you always trying to make them laugh or are you just doing what you do and you notice that they laugh? It really depends. Um, when I was before the pandemic and I'm talking about, I just go to these tiny little bars and like cabaret spaces where I could do like three to five shows, maybe a night, sometimes none. But uh, so by like the fifth show, let's say it's like one in the morning. I, I, I'm being pretty experimental. I'm being pretty loose. I'm pre I'm, I, that's when I like sit on the stool and I have a conversation with the audience rather than like really put on like a performance, you know? It, I really try to feel out the vibe of the room. If it's an eight person audience, I'm gonna talk to you. If it's a hundred person audience, I'm gonna perform uh, my, my shtick, you know? So, how, so what's the virtual room? Oh God, the virtual room. It's, uh, it's been an adjustment, but it's a lot of, yeah, it, it's a lot of me just having to prepare and to, to do my thing. And um, I've been you know, experimenting with a lot more songwriting. I don't actually play the piano. I always worked with a piano player. So I've been working on my, my, my little piano skills so that I can actually perform because I can't hire a piano player to come to my house at the moment. <laughs> I guess the term I've heard most um, this year has been Zoom theater. And mm -hmm. some people are very much opting to stay live and others are recording. Where are you? For, for the theater? Yeah, well, and for your, for your work generally this year, have you been doing more stuff live virtually or have you been recording stuff and saying, go watch it? Oh, definitely I've been doing more live because, well, the great thing about stand-up is that like, I can do a, sh like when I do a live Zoom show, I'm usually about one of six comedians on there and they can be comedians from anywhere, uh, the UK, California, what, whatever. And we can all be on the same show live for the same group of people who are watching. Uh, so yeah, and th at that point, I'll only do like a 10 or 15 minute set and then I can watch everybody else do their set. So that's been really enjoyable. This, this Half-Baked Alaskan show is the only, comedy that I've pre-recorded and then put online that was that was a brand new experience to pre-record myself in uh, my house <laughs> yeah um, now a lot of comedians this year have had great comic material from lockdown and from mask wearing and stuff but they've tended to avoid covid do you think covid is a no-go area for comedians oh gosh yes I mean, I got COVID, so I'm definitely, <laughs> I definitely have some jokes about it. Um, I got joke, uh, I got COVID right when, um, in March when the whole city shut down. So I remember being one of the first comedians in New York to get COVID. And then all the comedians were like, oh gosh, I was at a show with you and trying to contact Trace for me. So I was kind of like, I had a lot of comedians reaching out to me being like, did you, did you get COVID? So it's, it's still a frightening thing, but I think it's so, so part of my life uh, that I would, of course, I want to joke about it. Yeah. <laughs> but like right in the early stages of COVID, you know, when New York was in meltdown, did yeah. comedy go quieter? Actually, I remember when that happened because we all had to cancel our shows. We all had shows that whole month and uh, we were like, damn it. Uh, I had some gigs coming up that I was excited about. Uh, so everyone had this energy of like, there's nothing to do. So I remember there being just a boom of online shows and that kind of petered out as the summer went along. 
so weirdly when everything went in meltdown everyone was so scared and we had all this energy we didn't know what to do with that there was like a ton of online shows at least in new york i remember and so over time do you think you've changed as a comedian being so locked up oh my gosh yes yes very much Whew. i used to i'm, I'm like i can't re i can't imagine like I would take like three cabs a night running to all the different venues where I was performing. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, if I walk outside and buy a cup of coffee somewhere else, I'm like proud of myself for like getting out of the house. It's like definitely, I've definitely uh, changed as a comedian. Um, hopefully for the better, I, I hope that my work ethic will come back uh, as far as my performance stamina goes uh but like now if I, I get I do like a show maybe once a week now and I'll be like whoof that was how did I used to do that all the time so hopefully hopefully it'll come yeah. back yeah I know comedy is not only about politics but over the last week or two as I found myself up at two o'clock in the morning watching <laughs> Capitol Hill and all what's going on in the U.S. just as a break from what's going on in the U.K. it does feel like America <laughs> has lost its sense of humor at least via all the news channels there used to be a lot more laughter oh gosh yeah it is it is so tense over here like it is it is like bubbling i'm also from I, i'm from a very conservative family i obviously do not share those beliefs anymore and haven't for a while but it's um a lot of people who are in my experience who are like maybe you know people who moved to new york in their 20s um and became you know liberal uh, uh, we, we have this tension in our, it's not just in the country, it's in our families, it's in our lives, it's in the people, it's, it's so like, I call my family and we have to be very delicate not to bring up certain things, but then I'll call my sister and we'll be like, can you believe what mom said? It's, 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 it's palpable how if everyone is feeling this weird, like worry, tension, and anger and relief it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> now interestingly as i'm watching the inauguration i promise you i've got my attention on you but in the corner of my eye someone is singing with a gold microphone um and you you've decided to make that artistic decision to you know blend your comedy with more music yeah well i love i love uh well i was a a singing bartender um with, uh, at a p gay piano bar um, called the duplex, which I hope will open again. Uh, but it uh, so I, I started that job before I started writing songs. And it was I just realized that the power of a song to keep someone's attention, and to tell a story uh, was something that I should at least explore. So I only in the last couple of years started writing a songs, which is like a completely different skill. So that is something I'm very much developing uh, because it's very intimidating to be like, okay, write a funny song. Uh, I'd be like, I, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, so, so yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm slowly going over there, but people just, people just love a good song. Like people just love to hear a good tune. So if you can make one, like you've got something special. So that's just what I'm going for. How many times have you watched your pre-record? Oh my God, I edited it. So it was, uh, 
I because I filmed on two camp two angles because I really tried to make it like look like a comedy special. <laughs> um, so there was so there was quite a bit of footage to go through and quite a bit of cringing on my part. I did have to smoke a, a lot of pot and have a big drink while I was editing that to edit out all the. Ugh. <laughs> The, so do you ever is, is it ever over and I mean when you pre-record obviously it's fixed in some ways but are you constantly changing your material now we're in lockdown because that obviously comedians can do that literally yeah. from moment to moment when it's live we can't do that when you fix it in a recording so easily oh yeah yeah I mean I would well there were certain bits that I tried out that I was like oh you know what this is just actually not working. So luckily I could just cut the entire segment and be like, well, next time when I try that, I will do it differently. Um, but sometimes I would take like, I would do two different takes. I would, I would tell like, do the same bit, but two different ways. And then I would see which way I liked better in post. So being able to edit myself was actually, um, was good. It was part of the, it, it helped me learn what what worked better and what didn't. What does, what does chlorinated chicken taste like? Chlorinated chicken? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's good. Cause so you, so you don't, do you think we should buy it from the US? Oh God. I, you know, honestly, I remember, you know, I actually studied in Brighton uh, when I was 18. <laughs> And I had so much fun. I loved it. I went to Uni Brighton for a term. And uh, I really remember how different your meat and your milk tasted over there. And then there, and people were like, that's because it doesn't have all the hormones that you're used to. And I'm like, fascinating. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if you'd like it. So did you eat at Mithras House Canteen or Falmer? Falmer! See, the meat's much better up there. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. This was a long time ago. This is like 12 years ago. <laughs> um, do you do yoga before you go on stage? Oh, no. That would be a great idea. But I only have done yoga about three times a year at this point. Um, I, I used to. I, I've, I've been trying to, like, work out at home. But, boy, does it not appeal to me sometimes, <laughs> most of the time. Um, I've been asking lots of people this. So if I if I do watch your show, uh, the pre-record, how mm -hmm. would you like me to watch it? Uh, with a big glass of scotch. I mean, do you want me? Uh, am I slouching? Am I sitting up? Do you want me to stand up at the back of my um, living room with you down the other ends, and I can pull <laughs> and stuff? Oh, that. You know what? I actually that might that might energize the performance a bit. But honestly, I think making yourself extremely comfortable and, uh, you know, a big screen, a big screen would be great. Then then I feel like you can hear the three people's laughs almost like they're five. And, and in your latest show, do you have songs and comedy that follow particular themes without any spoilers, but do certain things interest you at the moment? Oh gosh, yeah. Well. I've been looking back on kind of like my life and what, I don't know, themes can be drawn from that. Um, so that I, I, so I have these, so I have a few different songs that are seemingly unrelated, but they do all fit into my story. Uh, 
the tapestry of, of my experience, uh, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I've got like a song about growing up, uh, one aspect of growing up in Alaska. I have a song about, you know, people trying to friend me on Facebook and I have a song about uh, my 10 years that I spent in New York City. So the only theme would be me, <laughs> but um, I hope, I hope you enjoy them. I like to, they're a little, they're a little jazzy and they're a little fun. So I hope it's, um, I hope it's uh, a little bit more cohesive than, than I'm making it seem. <laughs> Final question. I've been asking um, all performers this year, pretty much this question. So, mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not a throwaway question or needs a polite answer. These are unique times we live in. Um, Sally Ann, how are you? Oh, terrible. Goddamn. I, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, this, I was very happy to do this. This was something that like kept me from going crazy. It was really nice to have something to do to give myself, you know, they're like, well, you have to upload it by these times. I'm like, oh, a deadline. And I'm like, why am I getting excited about deadlines? I have so little to live for. <laughs> and I think a lot of that is also just being generally unemployed. So I, when comedy comes back uh, and when live performance comes back, cause I miss seeing shows. God, I wanna see shows. That's been a really great thing about the Space UK's online festival. I can actually like watch other people's work too. Um, when that comes back, I think I'm gonna be a lot fucking better, honestly. Sally Ann Hall, Half Baked Alaska. Thanks for talking to Fringe Review. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. My next interview, also at Living Record Festival, is with three people the writer, the uh, lead actor, and also uh, a multi talented uh, director and videographer um, so there's a collaboration here and we get to talk to all three of that team who are bringing uh, always on my mind to living record and it's shipwreck productions and what was fascinating for me about this interview was it was also the process of what now the digital realm is offering in this collaboration between writing theater and stuff like videography uh, and some of the technical possibilities of I'm going to make up a strange word but theatricalizing uh, the screen now some people are very very into this it's been an evolving field for a while the idea that we can perform theater live and recorded through the medium of the screen it's certainly there for the future um, as we get the opportunity to see work without having to physically be in a venue so which some people love and other people are horrified by but this has emerged before lockdown but is particularly emerging during lockdown so chatting to shipwreck productions uh, throws some really interesting light on some of the experimentation and some of the technical but also artistic policies of bringing work to stuff like living record which i'm sure is going to become a feature going forward of the art scene so let's dive deep into a really fascinating world of a combination of i guess it's video photography uh, linked to video scripting acting theater film uh, and so on so what did they have to say So we are delighted to talk to Shipwreck Productions and I've got with me uh, Liam Alexandru who's the writer of the 
piece we're going to talk about, which is always on my mind. But we're also lucky enough to be joined by the lead actor, which is Charles Lomas, and also Theo Gray, who's got lots of responsibilities, including editor, director, videographer. So hopefully we've joined up a lot of the team here. Um, now, my first question for all three of you, so you can answer one after the other, but um, I've been asking everyone this, and it's it's a genuine question, and it's unique to our time. So, I'll, actually, I'll take you one by one. Um, Liam, how are you? Oh, very well, thank you, Paul. All things considering. Um, so let's, and the let's, world consider the, let's consider the all things. I mean, what's lockdown like for an artist? Are you feeling locked down? Um, it's it's definitely been an experience. Uh, it's had its highs, and it's most certainly had its lows. Um, but for an art, I mean, I think it's. I don't want to discredit anybody in any kind of industry, but it's been particularly hard for the arts, really, and everything, because everything just kind of shut down. But I think, like, trying to see the glass, glass half full, it has come up with um, some brilliant opportunities, like the Living Record Festival, to try new avenues. Like, uh, we primarily do um, theatre and film, which is, you know, kind of our, our, our bread and butter, really. So to try and deviate from that and, like, you know, bring those two aspects to a digital festival was... A wonderful opportunity I don't think we might have thought of um, before the lockdown so yeah it's been quite hard I think but it, it has had its uh, its its good points I think at times yeah and I guess I know exactly what you mean but so many people have been thwarted so it's yeah particularly hard for the arts because we can't open theatre venues and stuff like that it's particularly hard for the hotels because they can't open you can't fly whatever it's going to be but some people have talked about this as you've mentioned living record festival as a sort of creative opportunity and we'll go on to that in a little bit but Charles how are you I think I'm uh in a, in a very similar position to all, all of us Paul where you know um I think luckily for some of us, lockdown can be, if not comfortable, but bearable. Um, but it is, it has been an important thing to stay artistically stimulated in a time where it is difficult to do so. Um, so if, so if, for example, sports people have been kind of still running on their running machines, um, how does an actor stay in tune? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I suppose... I suppose for me, I've been doing doing a lot of reading, a lot of watching, a lot of uh, theatre online, which has actually been one fantastic thing that has been really helpful, I think, for actors to be able to still take in theatre in whatever form that is. And honestly, through doing this project, staying uh, creatively uh, inputted into the performing of this project and also having a sort of finger on the writing and the filming and the editing as well, just to keep any form of creativity up, I think for an actor is essential at all times, really. So have you been kind of the equivalent of your workout? Has it been doing your favourite monologues for six hours a day? <laughs> um, there hasn't actually been too much of that for, for me, to be honest. I, I have a lot of actor friends who do a lot of those sort of uh, weekly uh, self-tape challenges and monologue challenges. I think for me, artistically, as an actor, it's been more perhaps uh, selfishly or arrogantly sort of exploring myself in this time and really taking some time to get to to know myself in that kind of way mm. and Theo what about the you know the fundamentally deep uh, you know um, urges primeval urges to direct well there's I in truth I found it at time challenging particularly when you're trying to direct through a FaceTime call and say someone's have to, someone has to put you down out of shot so you're aren't you aren't interfering with the audio there are always kind of testing elements there but I feel 
it, it's a time to adapt and overcome these kind of challenges, particularly if there's going to be a continuation of this kind of world we're living. It's a lot you, about yeah. to ad adapt and overcome these these challenges. And I feel as though, especially towards the end of the project, we were, we were really getting something in that case. Yeah, and that directing through FaceTime, do you think that's added anything new to your skill set if you had to sort of learn something new? I, it's, I feel as though it's, it's even more in a sense, a, a passive kind of way of working because there's, I love being on a set because that you can you have this kind of physical interaction. You can maybe really irritate your actors by getting on onto the set yourself and then just acting out how you how you would kind of see it. So you've got you're kind of more in the actors' hands, but then you're kind of allowing them to do more of a taking taking it into their own kind of role in a way. Hmm. Now, um, Liam, um, always on my mind, had a life before lockdown. Can you just take us back, classic story mode, to you know when that could no longer continue? in the physical world at least for a while and how you decided and took it into the virtual yeah absolutely so uh, always on my mind started off as a uh, one hour one act play that i wrote in uh, 2016 um and i wrote it at a time because it's it's all about a bit of a breakup and you know uh, this couple kind of uh, reconciling their differences but with the added benefit of having these these two in a monologue characters kind of speaking their truths in such a you know, like such a uh, trepidous uh, situation. Um, it wasn't particularly well received at the time. Um, it was during a, a festival uh, up in Worcestershire where I live. And the adjudicator, he, he said, um, I don't quite get the concept. Um, it doesn't really work for me, but I think that just might be my style compared to yours. So it was something that I was, I was particularly proud of, but I didn't feel um, was the right time for it. So it kind of, it, it sat at the back of my uh, my bookcase, like you know, just collecting dust. And then I saw the uh, the festival pop up, and I was trying to think about what kind of content could we could we release. And uh, between the three of us, we've been involved with other kind of Zoom projects uh, and theatre pieces. And I remembered uh, always on my mind, and I thought, how I know, I, I personally speaking, I don't know more than one or two couples uh friends of mine couples who have survived lockdown it's very sad um it's very sad to say that it's one of the one things that are like you know problems and sadness has, has come from this lockdown but a lot of good teams and couples i've seen just kind of fall apart for one reason or another and um i kind of thought this was an interesting story what is it like to break up with someone either just before lockdown or during and then have that time of self-isolation where you've got nothing but your own thoughts to like keep you company um and to say if you do get that, opp that uh, opportunity to speak to that loved one, um, what should be a, a nice, maybe like catch up over a coffee or a pizza or something like that is now a Zoom chat, which is so unintimate for such a, a, an emotional conversation. So I thought it was a quite a relevant story about like, you know, um, reconcil uh, reconciling with somebody in, in a quite hard time. Um, so that's why I, I decided to bring you back. Um, we did brainstorm a few ideas, but um, we just ran with this one. And uh, it's completely different to what it originally was. Um, but, it, but with that kind of, it's quite, it's got a new life, which I'm very happy to say is, uh, it's rather than collecting dust at the back of my shelf, like I said, it's, it's kind of got a new bit of air about it, which I'm, I'm really happy with. Now, I wouldn't give COVID to anybody, but it sounds like this has been a creative opportunity. It has, yeah. It's been a very difficult opportunity because um, we 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 really didn't give ourselves that much time, and that's 
just because we, we, we decided to create this project for the festival. Um, we signed up for the festival uh, at the last minute, mid-November. Um, and then between the end of November to December, I had to edit the old script, reduce it down from an hour to about 15 to 30 minutes, um, change it from a stage play to a screenplay, like cut out all the waffle. And then on top of that, um, give it over to Charles to learn. And he did a fantastic job. And so did Lucy, um, his counterpart in the piece. And to Theo to uh, mock up sh uh, shots and prep for directing. So it was a very quick turnaround and very challenging at times. But uh, I'm very proud of everyone, everyone coming together and being able to do that in such a, such a, a short space of time. So Theo, in classic fly on the wall documentary style, could you describe what a rehearsal is like on FaceTime? Well, it's quite literally, it would be just myself and the actor at the time. And I would read through the other three parts of the script and the, the actors themselves would just be working it out. And what we would do is set the, the phone up on on a stand of some sort often it was just a shelf with some books propping it up so i could get an idea of how the shot could look and so uh the the actor was kind of just talking to the back of the phone most of the time so credits them because they couldn't see it at all what i was uh, how animated i was in my directing but um so it really came down to the more how can we the technical aspects of setting up the shot the positioning how that's going to work for me later on the editing and um I, I really did rely on the actors so much so so much credit to them in the, the way that they were able to kind of innovate themselves and to put themselves also into kind of a DOP role as well because that you know they're the only one hands on the set that they are doing all the manual work there which usually they, they could just leave to anyone else while I'm just focusing on their role. And in terms of this being you know in a digital format where does theatre merge into television and maybe go too far and then just become TV. How, how have you decided and made decisions about, no, this is theatre online rather than, you know, theatrical TV? So as Liam said, the, the concept kind of, well, it, it, it did change. It, absolutely, it had to change for the, for the means of this production to be producing it remotely. And so what we were playing about with was the, the, the uh, dialogue and the narrative with, uh, alongside the dialogue and how we could kind of, always present the dialogue to be in a kind of present, in a present time. So despite there maybe being moments during a conversation where we're looking back or a flashback, whatever you want to call it, the dialogue is constantly remaining present. And I feel as though that's the kind of elements that would bring theatre into that mix with this, this kind of new age digital film. But I guess what I'm also, I'm trying to ask, it's a good sort of innocent question for someone that knows far less than you guys about it, is, when when did the videography and the kind of rules of good videography come to the fore? And when did theatre craft, as if you're in a physical space, have to come to the fore? Yes, I've stunned them. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> you really have. Um, well, um, I think at first I definitely wanted to try um, this a, a Zoom-based theatre production. I've I'm in lockdown I've been very um, fortunate to work with the likes of um, uh, the group at um, the show must go online which was the uh, reading of Shakespearean plays via zoom but in a very like uh, kind of a cross between rehearsed reading reading it off the screen but also still playing with how much acting you can do between you know, like a few uh, a few centimeters worth of screen um, and, and I've, I wanted to play around with that and like work with zoom theater get uh, the likes of Lucy and Charles you know, on a Zoom chat together 
and reading it as if it was a play with each other. Um, well, no, very uh, these theatrical techniques, um, and then we record that and put it into the film. Um, and then I think because of these lockdown restrictions and it, and it becoming so much more difficult, we kind of had to uh, like bring in these film techniques. Um, like for example, um, I, I, we've already mentioned um, because there's a the, the two present characters, the ones in real life, but also their intangible inner psyche characters. In the original play, they were performed by, of course, obviously uh, separate actors because, you know, it's a physical space. So when me and Theo and Charles were coming up with the idea, I thought, well, actually, how possible is it for Charles to be in the same shot at the same time, playing both Curtis and Jack, his, um, his inner monologue counterpart? And we discussed that with green screen. So we then had to take a step away from this Zoom theatre piece and look at more professional filming shots, you know, away from like just looking uh, square at the camera. Um, we wanted to incorporate both. So it'd be kind of a nice, beautiful hybrid, but because of restrictions, because of timing, we didn't get to fulfill on all the things we wanted to. But if anything, it's become more of a, a proof of concept short film because um, we would like to improve upon what we've done and just um, make this film even better in the future, hopefully. So in terms of your creative journey as the actor here, uh, Charles, what, what, how does that compare, the journey of you learning the lines, being directed, going onto a stage in a theatre, touring it round, and compare that to being an actor who is now realising this character with another actor in this digital format? Is it very similar? Does it feel very different? I, I would say, uh, in terms of uh, the preparation that you would do for a film, it feels more familiar than for theatre, because... You know, it's very often you, you get your lines, you turn up to set, you do the job and you leave. Whereas theatre is a much more immersive, uh, collaborative thing. So in terms of the actual prep work, me, me on my own, it was much more similar to film. But in terms of the delivery, because, as we said, we are still part of this massive collaboration between uh, Liam writing it and hitting me with, I think it's fair to say, Liam, new scripts every day. You know, they were changing all the time and it was a fantastic thing <laughs> every script they were getting better and better and better longer and longer and longer as well um but also then I'm in the new room Theo sort of telling me how to set up the shots and I'm doing that so there is still that massive theatrical element of the collaboration as well and with some of the shots that we chose to do you know we did I think in response to your previous question as well have an emphasis on it becoming more of a theatrical piece you know we could have done um spoilers the, the sort of fight club version of having the psyches and mm. being a bit disjointed and um really shooting that like almost a oh isn't this a bit sort of a very serious very serious kind of thing and we went for the more playful you know this this is someone and their thoughts and that isn't always clear and clean you know some of these memories and these shots are a bit disjointed and the edit is sort of deliberately so that way. Um, so the process was, you know, it's sort, of, it's sort of like one man does everything, but you feel completely at ease in the hands of other people. Mm. That's really interesting. And so coming back to Liam, um, it, hopefully we're going to be out of lockdown soon. 
hopefully you know enough people will be vaccinated for us to start to come back to a place where theatres open again maybe fringe festivals start to happen in one way or another are there now two versions of this piece and are you holding on to both as we come out or is there now just one version the one that's developed in this way are you still holding on to that original version and having some sort of vision for that also to appear oh very good question um I think I can quite uh, happily and proudly say it, it's the def both both uh, definitely there and going forward with them, but I think there's this kind of beauty that they are quite different. It's like watching I don't know say a a, a play that was originally on stage and then they made the film version. There's going to be so many differences, uh, and they're going to be more. Uh, of their own projects, but there's still that beautiful vein of the same kind of story and outcome, I think. I'm trying to think of examples, but none are springing to mind. Um, definitely doing this has made me uh, want to go back and edit the original play. There are so many things that I would change about it now, but I don't want them to become twins of each other. I would like there to be the film version that people can watch, and I even have uh, like plans for a sequel if if it was received well and people want to see it it's like no what happens after this film with the couple and I have some ideas for that but for the original play I want it to be still its own thing where they are connected by name and story but they're not identical like you know you can still watch both and come away with different thoughts and feelings for it so fingers crossed hopefully in the near distant future we'll see both uh, it on a, on a stage and on a screen somewhere well that's what we're hearing already we're hearing that you know in the future too you know two versions of plays may well be developed some different sometimes the same because you know with not being able to fly and you know uh, the nature of climate change and all of that it could well be that we get an audience of a thousand online and an audience of 50 in the theater it just i'm kind of being um sort of slightly romanticizing the role of the writer here, but is it that you're thinking about a sequel because of the nature of it being filmed and maybe you wouldn't have done had it just been a play on the stage? Has it sort of inspired something? It has actually, yeah. Um, I, I, I won't I be ignorant and say that a lot of these experiences and, and stories uh, of the two characters haven't come from my own experiences, uh, especially the original play. I was much younger at the time. Um, and if it was just a play, it probably would have just stayed as it was, wouldn't have gotten a sequel really. But the film has definitely kind of moved something for me. And I already know where I would like the sequel to go without kind of giving things away. And I think there is still more to say about this story, about the, this couple. Okay. Because if this is the reconciliation, what happens afterwards? What happens if they do stay in contact in one shape or, or form really and and that's what I would like to explore and is so beautiful about doing a film is that you can make these sequels easier access easily uh, easily uh, sorry easier to access than say a sequel for a, a theatre piece. So it's the year 2031 and I've just been to see Always On My Mind <laughs> 10. <laughs> oh my god yeah that's that's the second divorce that's uh that's wife number three and the second divorce. So, so just as you, you mentioned that a couple more questions um relationships do they ever end oh wow we're getting very deep we're we're climbing down the rabbit hole here yeah. <laughs> um well are I they ever really over ever really over i well i think this is different for everyone but uh speaking personally i don't think so um i think they may physically end and you stop engaging with that person um you stop seeing them in your life but I, I, depending on how how much you really cared for this person, I don't think those feelings ever go away. They might they might like uh, 
shrink or they might um, you know, rapidly change and like go from being loved to hate to jealous and things like that. But I don't think I don't think they ever go away. No. And well, I think that's yeah. what I think that's what's about this pl- play is that it's six months later. And one of this, one of these, one of the members of this former couple has sent a message to the other one saying, "Let's chat." You don't just do that out of fun or without an agenda. You do it because you're you want to see what happens next. Now that was just my gen- gentle warm-up question to this one, which is: I've always thought it a little sad when I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe and we sometimes go for the whole month to see a writer or hear a writer shows up at every single performance, sitting at the back. Um, of their show you know and in some ways never lets it go in the case of this show not being able to go and see it time and time again in case you did are you how many times have you watched it how many times <laughs> have I watched it <laughs> that's a good question I feel I feel like I've got pressure on me now from Charles and Thea who are kind of raising their eyebrows um 10 times a day <laughs> no, uh, not quite not quite I watched uh we've had we've gone through quite a few drafts uh, and um I have particularly watched the 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 the, pra- the previous few drafts quite a few times um so it's like especially getting stuff for social media accounts and whatnot um in terms of the final version I have only watched it once I'm sorry Theo I'm sorry um heartbroken, heartbroken. I, but I will be watching it again. Um, it's only because it's been on my, on the forefront of my mind for two months. I'm just having uh, I just had the weekend just to kind of like declimatize. Um, but yeah, I'm so proud of it and I love it. If it was a th- especially with a theatre piece, um, and that's what I think is a beautiful thing about theatre that it's always changing. No one night is ever the same. Exactly, and, and I put I put it to you because you mentioned final version, but you also told me that relationships are never over. You know, is it over now? Is it? is it printed and you're going to move on to your next project or are you still feeling itchy fingers on the keyboard or in the notebook to further work on this? Oh, always we have fingers. about a hundred projects at once. Yeah. I think there's always itchy fingers. All you have to do is like, but what about this? And we're like, Oh, don't start. Don't, don't throw us down the rabbit hole. Um, but either way, yeah. as we were, as we were working on it and there were certain elements which we had to lose due to the restrictions, but th- that we loved. And I mean, it's, I, I, I'm still keen to revisit it and maybe reshoot it once we can all together be in the same place and you know because I, I Theo, Theo, you know, yeah. Theo, is there a secret diet director's cut that even the writer doesn't know about? Paul, <laughs> oh, I told you not to mention this. That was <gasps> that, what no, hidden from me. I mean, with the two, with the, it's the last couple of weeks have been constant phone calls and what, but the re, the reason being that yet that there are few saved different drafts is because we we've lost out on the kind of. Uh, having everyone in the room in front of the computer while you're editing is such a, for me, very important because there are so many little tweaks that can happen just spur of the moment. So many little inputs that can completely change the idea. And truth be told, that was coming up, that, that was happening the, the the night before the deadline. We were coming up with a little, little tweaks just to the title or whatever, just little ideas, which in the spur of the moment can really kind of change your draft. So there, there, there are lots, the many different drafts but uh I, we're, we're, I we're all really happy despite Liam only watching it once with the final draft but um it's uh th- 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 there's certainly room for adapting the, the, this this proof of concept which we've come up with Liam, well, there's, a, th- there's an invitation for hackers listening in there we go please <laughs> oh, go you know it's time to in, in, innovate and you know yeah. adapt what we can in these in these yeah. bizarre times so you know the, yeah. the more input the better mm. 
All Charles, I'm saying Charles, is if the, go on. If, go if on. the hackers are uh, interested, please just make sure to share it so we get some more interest. <laughs> Good idea. Um, Charles, as, as, as an actor, the lead actor, um, are you itching to get back into physical theatre spaces in the physical world? I really am, you know. Um, it was a very frustrating thing. So I, uh, I was actually on a, on a cruise ship. I'd just come back from a cruise ship just before lockdown, you know, when cruise ships were all the all the eye of the press for COVID at the time. Um, I came back, I isolated on the day I was supposed to come out of isolation, we were in national lockdown. And I had um, a theatre job that I was going in, supposed to be going into about two days later, which got pushed back. And then we came out of national, the job came back and then we're into tears and the job goes away again. And I think that's the case for every actor. There's been things that obviously the theatre pro produces and you know those spaces are dying to have people in them and they're dying to have audiences come and if people see it I think the people are dying for it as much as the actors to be honest yeah. um, so I, yeah I'm extremely itching to get back into theatre I love the theatre um, I think it'll be a very joyous occasion when we can all do that safely and there was me as the founder of Fringe Review when it all started with an evil laugh shouting at last uh, but anyway, we, <laughs> then then we reviewed 250 shows within six months. Um, wow. Final final question to Theo, and particularly around some of your skill set around, you know, director, videographer, editor, and so on, is I've been asking this question in almost every interview um, in terms of taking work online. Here we are at home in lockdown. People have mobile phones. They have kind of TVs. They've got computers. Some are lucky enough to have big screens. We have sofas, beds, floors. Some people have gardens. How would you like me to watch this piece always on my mind i always find it's a big conversation especially at the moment you always hear these directors going oh you, you i can't believe people watch my my films on their mobile phones but it's 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 whatever is possible i think especially now when you want to support the arts any means to you know view somebody's work they're passionate about I think take that opportunity on any device you have if you have a, lap a laptop a a with you go ahead if you can watch it on the tv fantastic if you're on your phone in your bed I welcome it as long as you're supporting and being a part of the arts I, I I'm really you know I, I completely leave it up to the viewer because I mean it's 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 out there for you to enjoy however you enjoy enjoy it thank you for that and I'm just going to end this by saying Liam Charles Theo and um, Lucy, who we didn't get to talk to, but very much part of this, and the rest of your team, you are a very inspiring group of people. Um, and thank you for talking to Fringe Review. Thank, thank you. you. We really appreciate the much. time. Thank you. We come to the end of episode eight, a packed episode. And packed because there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening in lockdown here in the UK, going out internationally. The reason there's a lot happening is maybe paradoxically because we're in lockdown. And having been locked down in the UK here big time for a second time, it seems to have, even in the thick of winter, led to some blooming. Some blooming of the artistic work and that spirit of continuity and not being locked down. Uh, that I think is similar in some ways to people who are literally locked down. People that have written their best work, uh, created their best art, when adversity has meant that they can't get out of the house. There are prisoners of conscience who have written their best books, literally memorising in their head their poetry, their plays, 
uh, when paper was removed from them, where they had no typewriters or computers and they had to memorise their work. We even have those stories of people that had to write their poetry on soap in prison um, and before it was discovered they washed it away but kept those words in their head. Now, is it fair to make that comparison? Well, without losing any respect to people who've been in the worst adversity, this is a time in the UK where we're just reaching 100,000 deaths, where people are shielding, where people cannot go out of their house, though others are breaking the rules. And yet somewhere within there, beyond the Netflix movies and beyond the Amazon Prime and beyond the Sky TV, there is the world of live performance still attempting to come to you. There is the world of film, there is the world of visual art, there is the world of digital art that's been around for a long time, all offering itself even during these difficult times. And this episode has focused and paid tribute in some ways to two festivals currently running here in the UK. And earlier episodes have been dedicated to those specifically, but I decided to at least start to mix them up. That is the Space UK Season 2 and that is Living Record Festival that just began a few days ago. And you can get access to this work and I'm not advertising on behalf of them, I'm advertising on behalf of the arts continuing so that when we do emerge from lockdown it's still going. And actually in some ways, despite the horrendous loss of income for people, which is not to be diminished, the shutting down of venues, um, and some people are clearly in that industry, quite perhaps rightly for them, waiting until it's all over. Um, there are others who are attempting to offer their work to you in a digital format, be that live or recorded. And some have changed their work and are changed as a result and won't come out the same in terms of their work. In terms of commercial models, in terms of income, certainly you're going to find in the future, started by National Theatre Live and that kind of thing, showing their work in cinemas, uh, is that new income comes from the fact that not only won't we be able to fly as much if we're to deal with climate change, but we have the opportunity through the digital realm to reach audiences all over the world and perhaps even monetize that in reasonable ways. Now, what do you think about that? Do you think that uh, theatre can find its way online? Do you think that um, our wish for art beyond TV and film um, can be satisfied in online formats? be it Zoom, um, be it YouTube, be it dedicated platforms, or are you just waiting to stop doing all of that and get back into the physical world? We're hearing that the world, when we come out of lockdown, won't be the same. We may well be in recession, and even when we're allowed to walk out and about, will there be people with money in their pockets to spend on ticket prices from which you could earn a living? Uh, and in the UK, if funding continues to be cut in the arts, is this sustainable? And will we have to stay in the digital world? Uh, because we have to, at least partly. Now, my view of that is we mustn't find negative ways to do that. The digital can't be the sort of grudgingly accepted waiting room for getting back into the physical world. It's going to need, like in education, to be blended. And we are going to have to do it well. And as science kind of explores this area, we're going to have to learn about the impact of the flashing screen on our eyes. Uh, whether we'll ever really be able to go into virtual reality, at least in the short term, given that we have something called the AI winter, the artificial intelligence winter, where we are at the moment hitting limits online and limits in the digital world to what is possible without huge steps in development. Will it need the rise of quantum computing and, and massive processing power to get us into a place where we can immerse in artistic experience online in ways that are different but also perhaps transposed from the physical world? 
All of these things are unclear, but what you have at the moment, if I look personally at the Living Record Festival and the Space UK, is people out of necessity and out of restlessness and kind of maybe an angry artistic and human response to what's been going on in lockdown are determined to find whatever ways they can to bring you their work. Be that just a simply recorded show or be that a, ch a show that's been developed, innovated or be that entirely new work. What you'll certainly see if you immerse yourself in the Living Record Festival and the Space UK is a mix of all of that and I leave you to judge that for yourselves. See you at episode 9. Bye for now.